Hi, I'm the self-development coach, Johnny Lawrence, and welcome to the Self-Development Podcast. I stopped drinking when I was 24 years old, so it's over 10 years ago now. Um, in a time where there, you know, I, there wasn't like an online community or anything like that of people stopping drinking, so it was really strange for a 24-year-old. I started doing that by going to AA because it was the only thing that existed then. Uh, and even there, there was nobody really my age. It was really hard to find people. And what happened was is that very quickly I realized how hard I found it. I thought all my problems would go away when I stopped drinking. Yeah, so I stopped drinking. And I was like, wow, thank God I've stopped drinking because now I'll be a good person. Yeah, because because I treated women badly because I drank. Yeah, and because I, I did all the, everything that I did bad was because I had a problem with drink. And then I stopped drinking and I was probably a bit of a saint for about two months. And then they started creeping back. I was never honest. So I like told everybody. And of course, when you're sober, everyone's like, wow, you're sober three months. Wow, it's amazing. You're so lucky, you must be so proud. Your kid must be, da, da, da. and you don't want to go, no, I hate it, right? So you go, yeah, I love it. Did it for the kids, did it, all of that stuff. And behind it, I was desperately struggling. And the suicide that you talked about in the December of 2012 was, like six months after I'd stopped drinking, right? Uh, um, and I couldn't do it anymore because because then, because when you can't blame the drink and you're just left with yourself, then what? Hello, and thanks for listening to the Self-Development Podcast. I'm excited today because I I know that a lot of podcasters, when they start podcasting, they have a list, right? They have a list of people that they would love to interview. And, and mine is vast, um, really. It's quite a long list. But but one of the people on that list is Josh Connolly. And today, I'll be chatting to Josh Connolly. And, and do you know what's great? Is that a couple of people have said on Instagram that we should talk, um, that they'd, they'd really be excited about us having a conversation. Mainly because I think what they say is something about us being both being quite articulate. Um, so, yeah, let's see what happens. Um, I didn't bring my thesaurus with me today, but you know, I should try to be as articulate as possible. <laughs> this is going to be an exciting conversation, I think, because one of the things I really, really admire about Josh is his honesty and his way of just putting it out there. And actually, most of the time, I think people will find that he has a way of explaining how you don't know that you feel. And that's what I really admire about him. He, he did that to me uh, on a podcast I listened to where he articulated beautifully a feeling that I was having that I didn't really realize I was allowed to have, I suppose. Um, but yeah, he's an incredible guy. It's an exciting interview, um, and exciting conversation. But I mean, for Josh, December, 2012 was the beginning of him seriously planning his suicide. Fast forward to December, 2019, and he's delivering resilience workshops to global organizations. But back then, he believed that resilience was the ability to keep going no matter what, to avoid struggle and to simply just show up. That ideal drove him to a place where he felt the best thing to do for his children was to take his own life. Today, I have the pleasure of saying that he has a new idea of resilience, one that is fluid, which allows him to struggle and ask for help. One that allows him to keep his head up and his shoulders back despite his internal struggles. One that embraces vulnerability and keeps him reachable. One that helps him to understand what he feels, know what he needs as a result, and to be able to communicate that within his activities and his relationships, rather than driving him to suicide. This idea of resilience has helped 
him deliver emotional resilience training to village primary schools and global brands alike. Josh doesn't believe that he's a new person. He's the same person with the same emotions. The difference today lies within what he does with that energy of those emotions. Josh strongly believes in change. This is a fantastic conversation. There's a lot of value here. We do talk about some very, very difficult topics. So a bit of a trigger warning. Um, We are talking about suicide and stuff surrounding that and uh, some of the struggles that people have every day. Um, There's a lot here to resonate with. There's a lot here to help you feel that you're not alone in some of those darker moments. And I think that's the value here for for both me and whoever's listening. So please enjoy this and uh, let's get to it. Josh, how are you, bro? I'm very good, mate. Very good to be here and nice to listen to those words, you know. Uh, yeah, crazy. What a journey. What a journey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mate, um, I said it before I messed up my intro, <laughs> but, but, but um, you are somebody that's been on my top 10 list. Um, when, you, when you put a podcast together, you have this little list, this little list of people that you'd love to talk to. And on there are crazy celebrities like Dwayne Johnson, right? Which I, I'm pretty aware I'm not going to get to speak to at any point. <laughs> you never but, know. You never well, know. you don't. You, you're right. You don't know. But but you were on the list. And the reason for that is because some years ago, I listened to you for the first time on the Love Sober podcast with Mandy and Kate. And people say to me quite often that I'm very articulate and I'm able to um, put over things in a really clear and concise way and that I resonate with people quite a lot. But I'd never really experienced that until I listened to you on that podcast. You spoke about your your sort of feelings or, or unhelpful feelings towards your children, your your upbringing, how you felt, and you described it in a way which, like, resonate doesn't quite feel like the right word for me because when I was listening to you, it was like you were talking about me, and I was just mm. like, "Whoa, you know, this is nuts," you know. So, firstly, thank you for that because that was that was a wonderful interview, and I mean, since then, there's been like stacks and your socials just gone nuts isn't it so so that's uh that's something but that that interview really was was something special for me to listen to so thank you mate yeah no look i appreciate it and and i also agree with the people that say that you articulate things really well um i I remember i reached out to you i don't even know how long ago it was and i you know i you were on my socials right and i just sort of and i remember reaching out to you and saying you know some you kind of, if you're not careful, you only stop on the stuff that annoys you on social media, right? Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and so I think actually it's quite hard to get people to stop on you for a positive reason and for a good reason and to want to like consume your content in that way. Hmm. Um, and so I found that with yours um, and, and the way that you articulate things. And it's definitely a skill. And I think it's one that's like quite natural in many cases, right? But then you can hone it in as well. So hmm. I, I think I, I do... I recognize it in myself and recognize when uh, when I hear somebody be able to articulate things in a, in a way that impacts me, mm-hmm. I know there's meaning in that. And I know that can have a positive and big impact. And actually, I think in a lot of ways, it's undervalued in yeah. kind of mainstream ways, you know. Um, and so, yeah, Espe- look, I just appreciate it. Especially in the coaching industry. I mean, we, we know there's a lot of people that, maybe shouldn't be coached uh, and the way they put things across is um, not necessarily how it seems seemingly intended but I mean someone told me one time I mean no matter what we do we, we are we are in the business of coaching we do we do coach people and we uh, that's our job but people don't buy knowledge 
I don't think, because I think the knowledge is out there. What you know, what I know, it's all out there in a book or it's out there on the internet or, or whatever. But people buy you. They buy the way you translate things, the way you mm. put it over, because it's like sometimes this whole mental health thing, this whole coaching thing, it, it, it can sometimes be quite heavy and people will not understand it or don't think it's for them until they hear someone like you who puts yeah. it over and it resonates and they're like, wow, uh, that's, that's powerful. That's, that's helped, you know? Yeah. And it is, it's a really, you know, it's a really important point because like you say, nothing I say really is new, right? Like, and, and, and I used to be worried about saying too much on social media, right? Because mm. I was like scared that why, why would anybody want to come and work with me if everything's out there? But actually, you know, when I get, you know, if anybody comes to one of my like events, one of my webinars or any of that kind of stuff, really all you're doing is sort of bringing it all together in a way that's digestible in that certain period of time. That's right. I don't bring, it's, you're not bringing anything new, right? And yeah, that really helped me actually from a kind of content perspective of, uh, you know, just keep putting things out there and give people things that they resonate with. And like you say, then they, they want to, to, to work with you and from like a marketing perspective, right? If you look at it that way, people buy from people, right? Like you say, they don't buy, yeah. they don't buy the knowledge or the thing, they buy from people. I certainly know that's true for yeah. me when I buy stuff. You know, if I, if I need something, I'm looking for something, a service of any kind, I, I don't generally go looking for the best service. No. I go looking for somebody that I like and then I'll buy the service from them. Yeah, and it's, it's, that's interesting because I've recently... I finally decided at the age of 42 that I can trust my instincts. <laughs> it's taken me a long time, but I finally decided that I can. And I, I came to that decision because actually every time I haven't, I've always regretted it. I mean, every yeah. single time as well. Like we have the answers, us as people and as coaches, I don't sit there in front of someone thinking, I know, I know what you should do. I know what you should do. As soon as, as soon as anybody does that, that's, that's not good. I don't think, <laughs> you know, no. because I know that most of the time, that person has the answer inside them. It's just that they're scared. Fear. Mm. Oh man, fear. That will stop you from doing a lot of things. Some of the things are good and you probably shouldn't do them. <laughs> but there are a lot of things that are for yourself that you're, it's all mixed up in your limiting beliefs and other people's stuff and stuff that people have taught you about realizing all that sort of stuff. So very often I sit there and I'm listening. I'm just reflecting. I'm just a mirror, you know, just a mirror to show people what they're actually saying instead of the narrative that they've took on for their entire life. And that for me is the true, the true and real art of coaching, right? You're metaphorically mm. holding somebody's hand so they can go and find what they need, you know? And, 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 and I sort of say to people, don't get caught up in thinking that I've got the answers. I, you know, I barely know what's good for me. Right? And, <laughs> yeah. I, and I don't say that joking. I say yeah. that as like yeah. knowing that my, 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 my daily kind of practice, my daily way of living life is, is trying to be curious about why I'm showing up in the way I am and yeah. what I need to make myself feel safer. So I don't have I don't have the answers, but but what I do believe that you know I've gained a lot of experience and maybe I don't know expertise in is the ability to be able to kind of create that space mm. that that can cultivate that feeling of 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 being safe to be able to explore. And that's what's important. What need. It's about yeah. creating that space for people that where they feel safe and they feel able mm. and they're not rushed and they 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 feel that you're they're there for the purpose of just speaking their mind and a large percentage of this stuff will be mixed in with daily stuff, like stuff that's a little bit like, oh, well, okay. I'm not sure how that's relevant, but never mind, move on. Uh, but every now and again, something will come up 
And you're like, hey, should we stay there for a second? That's interesting. Talk to me about that. And that's when yeah. the magic starts to happen. And the other part about it as well is that the magic usually happens between the sessions, right? They come back and they've got it all squared away. You're like, okay, right. What happened? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, 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 and also what you notice, yeah, is uh, they'll come back. The amount of times I'll have people that I work with come back and quote me and they'll be like, when you said this, and I think, oh, I can't wait to hear what it was that I said. And then they say it and I'm like, well, I said that. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm thinking if they've just told me it's changed their life, I'm thinking, I don't even think that, but I can't even believe I said that. There's a guy, there's a guy I remember hearing a guy speak quite years ago. And uh, he talked about, uh, he's an American guy, but he talked about the chicken on the roof and the turkey in the basement. And right. he says, I did a whole talk on, and it's hypothetical, right? But he said, I did a whole talk on uh, the chicken on the roof. And he goes, and this guy came up to me afterwards. He said, and I knew I said everything right about the chicken on the roof. And he came up to me after this conference and he was crying and he said, you changed my life. He said, everything you said resonated so deeply with me. And he said, he felt like, a, you know, 10 foot tall, like you do. Yeah. And he goes, this guy said to me, when you said about the turkey in the basement, he's like, that's when it all landed for me. And the guy's like, I never mentioned what I was talking about, the chicken on the roof, not the turkey in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he said, when people are ready, if yeah. you make them feel a certain way, they'll hear what they need to hear. Mm. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah. so forget ever that. I, you know, I say anything of any meaning, really. It's about the way it's said, the way that you create the space and what people need to hear. Yeah. You know and I mean? I've had I've had moments like that where I've walked away from conversations with people and I've gone like, who's that guy? Like, right, I don't know where that came from, what I just said. Like, yeah. it, it, it's because I suppose we, we read around it and it's like there are certain people that are here just to hold this knowledge, you know? Um, and, and pass it on to other people. And that's all like, I claim to do is, you know, I, I don't make anything up in the quotes, the things I find and that resonate with me. If, if anyone ever wants to know how I'm feeling, just read my Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> it'll, it'll tell you, it'll tell you all the quotes, the, the stuff that's resonated with me, you know? So, yeah. And I find, um, there is something when I'm in the flow state, right? There's mm. like, there's nothing that makes me feel quite as alive as when I'm, I've got myself and I'm really like compassionately curious about something and I'm exploring it. And that's why, like whenever I deliver any kind of talk, uh, I never plan it. I just go up and think I'll get into the flow state and I'll say what I'll say. And that's why when you look at my socials having grown in the ways that they have recently, it's because the formula I came up with is that I'm best when I'm in my flow state. Mm. So let me, I started doing a live regularly on Instagram getting into a flow state doing that live and filming myself doing it yeah and then chopping that up as content and that's yeah. when i get me at my best uh because i'm in that flow state yeah i mean how do you feel about that because like that is you know i, I can't i don't know what you went from and to but i know the last i checked was you know, well over 119 is it thousand followers i mean it, how grew, you... it grew 100,000 in about three and a half months that's nuts isn't it like, how do you feel about <laughs> how do you feel about that that's crazy that it... It's, um, you have to be careful about it, if I'm honest with you, right? Yeah. Because I don't care what anybody says. I don't care how enlightened you are. Um, when you open your phone and people are saying nice things on there, mm. right? I love things that numb me out or make me feel good instantly, right? And there was a period when, because I had a certain video on there that um, went proper viral, 10 million views. Um, it was like being shared by celebrities all over the world in America. They were messaging me. And I think when you, at that period, right, when that happened, 
if I left my phone for five minutes, and this is, I'm not exaggerating, this is literally words. If I left my phone for five minutes, when I reopened it, there was a hundred comments, hundred new followers and a thousand likes. Yeah. It was growing at like 5,000 a day. Wow. And when you've got that at your disposal, it's like a drug in your pocket. Yeah. Right? It's like, it's like, I'm not going to deal with anything. I'm just going to keep doing this. And then I would get overwhelmed of it. You know, like, like any other drug, you start, you're doing it too much. And you're like, yeah. I need this to stop. I wish it go away. And then like any other drug, when it did go away, yeah. Uh, instead of feeling like, oh, finally I'm free. You're like, I need to do it again. How do I do it again? So yeah. it's really, it's really difficult. And I think because of the content that I create is I'd like to think meaningful and helpful and good. And it's of service to other people. It's very easy for me to be like, there's no problem with that. It doesn't matter mm. how much I do it. I'm just doing it because I'm of service and I'm a great, I'm one of the good guys and we're good, but all of that, it, like, but Make no mistake, there are times when I create content and put it online and it's no different from somebody with washboard abs putting a picture of themselves online and sitting waiting for the likes just because it's a nice quote or a mm. nice reel about something good that's happened before. What drives me in some cases is no different. So I have to be really honest and aware of that. Yeah, so that's the like downside of it. But then you look at the opposite side of it is I was on the biggest radio show in Mexico two days ago wow. that went out like went out live to 2 million people is the seventh biggest podcast on Spotify in the world. And I was invited on there for 45 minutes to talk about a video that I'd put on my social media. So that's like the benefits from it. Yeah. Um, but you have to be careful, man, because it's, you. I'm sure you've experienced it. You know, you get, it's easy to get sucked in. Oh, mate, I, I have. In fact, um, I've had a, a real awakening around stuff like that. I, I used to think um, I, I, I used to think it was important to me to, to build my social media. And that was because other people told me all the time, oh, you know, you should do this, you should do that. You're really good at this, you're really good at that. And I'm like, oh, maybe I am, you know, a <laughs> little bit of lack of self-esteem there potentially. So, <laughs> so I'm just sucking it up and trying to get there. And I've been working hard on it. But at some point, I have to confess, I was choosing it over experiencing my children. You know, yeah. I'll be sat around with my kids and I'm like, one minute, babe, while I'm on social. And something happened that was like a wet fish slap across the face. And I got instant clarity. And it's like, oh, you used to think that this was the icing on the cake. But no, your family's the cake. The other stuff is the icing, you know. Yeah. And it's like, I, I worked that out. And as soon as I worked it out, I made a promise to myself that I would never allow that to happen again. But that's the power of addiction, right? Because we, we know the story about like two brothers, twins. Um, they both go through a traumatic childhood. One gets addicted to drugs and everyone like, oh no, they're addicted to drugs. It's awful, it's terrible. And then the other one gets addicted to work and it's celebrated, right? Yeah. And, and social media in the way in which you describe it, you know, the, the, the way that you're helping people, the way that you're reaching out, the, the knowledge and wisdom that you're giving, that could be celebrated quite easily and, and, and you understand why. But it's never to lose sight of the fact that it's still got them hallmarks of addiction. You know, yeah, and yeah. I, I respect you so much for just for saying that because I've had friends that, you know, I used to be in the fitness industry and they, you know, I'd, I'd put content out and I'd be trying to help people. Oh, you know, this is how you do the squat safely. And then my friend will just get a bum out. <laughs> and that's yeah. it. she gets all these likes and I'm like what that's not fair you know but she said you know the similar thing to you like be careful what you wish for because once that social media following goes up it's a commitment it's a job 
it's uh, an yeah. obs- it becomes an obsession and you have to keep an eye on it. But I think if there's anyone that's well equipped for that, it might be you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. But I mean, you, you, I mean, you do have to, you just have to be aware of it, right? Because the reason that I do it and I try to grow it and all of that kind of stuff, it is for good, right? That's why mm. I do it, right? I love yeah. that I've created a community on there. I love when I see that there's like people talking in the comments and saying, wow, you're like me and all that. Stuff. I love all that, right? And that's mm. great. And that's why I do it. But I just have to make sure that I'm always checking myself, like relationship with, with anything, my relationship with, with work as a whole, my relationship with, fitness my relate all of that stuff i always have to be evaluating it what's driving yeah. me because yeah. when because when it's wholly good you know the thing with alcohol or stuff like that right you can see that it's problematic you can just see it it's very clear mm. but when you get addicted to things that are seen as as good mm. right and it becomes like a form of spiritual bypassing um then nobody really calls you out on it no yeah nobody does apart from like you say in the end your wife and kids, right? Yeah. My wife and kids. They're the ones who are going to say, I don't really care yeah. about yeah. your work and they what don't. you do. I don't, they, and they don't. They're not, no. they're like, and this is the thing, yeah? I don't want to go too far and say they're unimpressed, but but they're unimpressed enough for, to be like, I don't care how yeah. big an event it is or whatever. You haven't seen us for a week, so what are you going to do about it? Yeah. I don't care, oh, you know? So I have to be... <laughs> Yeah, and it, but you you have to be really aware for it. And I, like I always look back to when I first started doing this, like five years ago. I remember like my wife saying, uh, "Like they get the best of you." Mm. And I remember like I was like, "How dare you! <laughs> How dare you!" That's what I was at first because like any good addict, right? I'm addicted to it, and I'll do I'll protect it at all costs. And what I started to realize is that, and I loved what you said about the ice and the cake because it's very similar. Mm. Do you finish on stage, right? And you get, I don't know, four, 400 people coming up to you to tell you it was amazing and they loved it. Da, 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 right. If you're not careful, when you come home and your daughter says, I love you, right? It, if you're not careful and you're in the wrong headspace, you don't feel quite as good as when 500 people have just said it. Oh, yeah, mate. And then you, and then <laughs> and before you know it, yeah, you forget. And it becomes very hard to see because you, because it's very, you know, it's not like justifying your drinking problem. Yeah. I mean, you can justify this by going, do you not know how many people I'm helping and all the good work that I'm doing? Yeah. And, and you, I have to stay grounded and centered in what matters. And that's, you know, for me, and everybody's different. I'm not saying people should do what I do, but that's for me why I keep my family and all of that stuff very separate. And I try and keep it very uh, sacred. And oh. it's not, you know what I mean? So, Mate, and, and I have systems in place for that stuff. I re- I respect you so much for saying that because uh, that is a recent lesson of mine. Like it is, truth be told, that is a recent lesson of mine, and uh, it was a hard lesson. <laughs> oh, mm. It was a hard lesson, and it had a lot of pain attached to it. But I learned it, and uh, I I will move forward. But yeah, it, it's important that you remember what's important, you know. Mm. Uh, and we can kid yeah, ourselves yeah. all day long. Uh, that's the power of addiction. We can we can we can tell ourselves we're going for one, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know. But we're not. Exactly, exactly. And, yeah. and, and the, you know, it gets really hard yeah. when the addiction is something good. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Because it's it's so much easier to stay in denial. Yeah. And then that is the lesson I learned. I learned that the hard way. Thank God I learned it now, you know, and uh, that now when I, I'm with my kids, I make a conscious effort to put my phone elsewhere. Um, yeah. that, that little thing's a bugger. That's that's what will get you every time the phone, <laughs> you know, yeah, so I leave it 
And then it takes yeah. a little while, like like any addiction, it takes a little while to sort of like separate from it. And then once you're there with your family, you're like, why well, don't I do this all the time? I mean, I live in Cornwall. Yeah. We go to some stunning beaches and stuff like that. And I just shake my head and I'm like, you idiot, what are you doing? Like, yeah. like this is what's important. But yeah, lesson learned, let's say that. But anyway, <laughs> we haven't even started yet. I think we would go for like 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I told you this had happened. Yeah. <laughs> this is a two-parter, everyone. <laughs> um yeah, so very first, would you like to tell people a bit about yourself? I'm, I'm, I'm more than sure that people have heard about you, but I mean, let's start with sort of uh, your journey and uh, sort of where you, how you got to where you are now. Yeah, so look, I stopped drinking when I was 24 years old, so it was over 10 years ago now. Um, in a time where there, you know, the, I, there wasn't like an online community or anything like that of people stopping drinking, so it was really strange for a 24-year-old. I think it still is, by the way. Mm. Things are changing a little bit, but it was really strange for somebody in my age to stop drinking and there wasn't many people around. And I started doing that by going to AA because it was the only thing that existed then. Uh, and even there, there was nobody really my age. It was really hard to find people. Mm. Um, and what happened was is that very quickly I realized how hard I found it. I thought all my problems would go away when I stopped drinking. Yeah. yeah so I stopped drinking and I was like, wow, Thank God I've stopped drinking because now I'll be a good person. Yeah. Because, because I treated women badly because I drank. Yeah. And because I, I did all the, everything that I did bad was because I had a problem with drink. And then I stopped drinking and I was probably a bit of a saint for about two months. And I literally, all the behaviors went and I was like free. And, um, and then they started creeping back. And then what, and then what do you do? Yeah. Mm. And I was like, I was never honest. So, I like told everybody, and of course, when you're sober, everyone's like, wow, you're sober three months. Wow, it's amazing. You're so lucky. You must be so proud. Your kid must be, da, da, da. and you don't want to go, no, I hate it. Yeah. Right. So you go, yeah, I love it. Did it for the kids, did it, all of that stuff. And behind it, I was desperately struggling. And the suicide that you talked about in the December of 2012 was like six months after I'd stopped drinking. Right. Mm. Um, and I couldn't do it anymore <clears> because. That, Cause then, cause when you can't blame the drink and you just left with yourself, then what? Yeah. And, um, I made a decision to take my life. I went to see my kids and because I knew I was going to die, right. I, the past became irrelevant. The future was non-existent for the first time ever. I was present with my kids that I know that now I didn't know that at the time. I didn't, it wasn't that clear. I remember cuddling my daughter and feeling it and seeing my son go down the slide and looking at me at the bottom and realizing how connected we were. And I changed my mind and I began after that to realize that like alcohol wasn't my problem. It never was my problem. It was an attempt at a solution. And if I'm honest with you, you know, when I look back, it was a bloody good solution for a long time. Um, uh, and so I needed to deal with whatever the problem was, whatever drink, you know, drinking was the reaction to. Uh, and what I realized is that <laughs> I still haven't found the answer. I've been on a journey, I think, for the last 10 years. And I think, like, I have moments where I think I've found the answer. Do you think finding always... the answer is the, is, is the purpose? I, I'm not sure it is. Do you think? Well, I think I think if you, in the end, you recognize... I, I mean, look, if I break my journey down, I go, I spent the first two years desperately trying to find the answer. Mm. I spent the next two years definitely having found the answer. <laughs> and then after those two years, I realized... It definitely wasn't the answer. I just, and it was just a new way of masking the pain. Um, and then I had another fall. And then you find a sense of freedom in knowing that I think by the time I leave this world, I will know very, very little. 
Yeah. And I think that's the, um, that's been the key for me. You know, when I had it all figured out and I knew what it was and I don't know, uh, do this, this, and this, and everything will be all right. And you'll, you know, you'll stay in enlightenment. I, it was spiritual bypassing. I was mm-hmm. completely addicted to like recovery <clears throat> from alcohol for a long time. Um, and then I think it was that, it was that repeated, like coming out and like telling everyone, this is how it is. This is how you should do it. This is the way. Mm-hmm. And then boom, you know, breaking down into little pieces again in sobriety and having to come back and go and that thing that I said, you know, you kept saying it might not be the way and I beat you up for it metaphorically. Uh, you might've been right. And I'm going to try that thing that you said. And then with that comes humility. Mm-hmm. And then I literally live now and I genuinely live by this mantra that I wake up every day with the firm knowing that I could be wrong about everything I've ever believed. Oh, love that. And, but, 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 but if you can, li- if you can live by that ideal, right. You either get to reaffirm, you know, strong ideas, stronger ideals, or the, the greatest times in my, in my 10 years, since I've been sober, the greatest times without exception have always followed. They've always come after a period of real struggle. They always have because mm. that's, where the ground is most fertile, yeah? The forest and fire so, analogy, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And so and so, what I recognise is that the most exciting thing is when I when I realise, shit, I don't, this don't work anymore. Because then it's like, wow, now I've got to find something. And then when mm. you find it, you go back off on that journey again. Like, I found yeah. it. It's amazing. Yeah. But it, it, it inevitably is followed by another fall. Yeah, I, I would say to Kai, it's like a hammer will work until you need a saw. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, it's like they could try to saw some more of a hammer, man. It's not going to work. Yeah, know? yeah. But by, yeah, I, so I, I don't know whether you know, but like I, I'm sober. I, I went sober December 2020. And um, before I did that, you know, I tried every trick in the book to try and get out of it. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I said to my therapist at the time, you know, like, what's the point? And he said, look, if you want to know why you drink, stop drinking. Mm. And the act of stopping drinking, the actual physical act, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it, in essence, it, it's quite silly, really, to think that this bottle of liquid has this power over me. But I, I was the one giving it power, right? But the hard bit wasn't necessarily giving up the alcohol, though that was challenging. The hard bit was dealing with the emotions that came in. And that, to me, yeah. is recovery. It's dealing with that. And, like, it's like a stairway, right? You know, you step up one step and you look and you go, oh, the is a bit different here. I can see that now and I can see that. And then you go the next step and you can see that. But everything you see comes with a whole bag of baggage yeah. <laughs> that you've got to unpack. And, then, you know, I believe that all of the things that have happened to me since I've turned sober, I had to be sober in order to handle them. Mm. Because some things have happened to me in my life since then. And I'm like, oh, I think about what it would be like if I had alcohol in my life. I'd be like, oh, my God. <laughs> there's no way that that would have made that better you know yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah yeah but i mean could you talk to me about the emotions and the mindset that you were experiencing leading up to your planned suicide and and obviously what stopped you you've already mentioned but like what was that because what i'm trying to get to is like i'm not sure people understand what goes into that thought process you know a lot of people declare it as selfish and stuff like that and i can see that thinking but I know, having spoken to people before, there I go, I know, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah I, I've spoken to people before and they do believe in that moment that the best thing for everybody else is that they're not around anymore. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think that's the key sentence as well, right? You often hear that um, people that take their own life, uh, 
they don't want to end their life. They just want to end the pain, mm. right? And like, I think that's probably true for a lot of people, but that wasn't necessarily the case for me. Like, I'd wanted the pain to end all of my life, right? I sort of would, I think I would have always found a way to trudge through with the pain. It's when I reached this stage where I thought, you know what, the best thing for everybody around me is for me not to be here anymore. Mm. Like the best thing for my kids would be if I was gone. At least then I wouldn't have to be such a burden, such a darkness on their life. At least then they could draw a line in the sand and they could move on. Yeah. And they could, uh, you know, grieve and then and not just repeatedly go through this hell of having to be around me. And it felt very rational at the time. It felt very logical. It felt like the right thing. It felt very noble. Um, I didn't tell anybody. And the reason I didn't tell anybody is because I thought, you know, people will try and stop me. Of course they will, because that's what you're supposed to do. But ultimately deep down, they'll know that I'm making the right decision too. So they'll be happy that I didn't tell them. So they didn't have to pretend to try and stop me. Um, and it's very clear the way that I felt obviously it was completely distorted. But what I would say is that we live in this weird place now where you've got all these people out there saying, you know, you should tell people how you feel, be open about what you're struggling with, right? You should be open. But, but those same people, the moment you start being open, telling you, you should put a trigger, you should have put a trigger warning on that. Why you shouldn't say that's made me people uncomfortable. And so what do you want? Do you want people, it, either you're ready to hear people struggle or you aren't. And I'll tell you, in my darkest days, I felt like I hated my kids, right? Mm. I felt like I wanted to fight everybody. I felt like happy people particularly would deserve to be get up, you know, I don't know, to get beat up, right? I, I feel awkward saying these things, but that's what I felt. And the, like, people don't want to hear that. No. So when I say that, like, I had nobody to talk to, I think I was right. If you look at like Tyson Fury, for example, yeah. Yeah. Everybody loves Tyson Fury now, right? Everybody. Every man and his dog loves Tyson Fury because of what he's come through. Everybody hated him when he was struggling. Yeah. He 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 was nominated for a sports personality of the year award and they struck him off of it. They cancelled him off of it. I don't know if they've succeeded, but everybody there was a petition to get him struck off. Why? Because he was struggling desperately. He was full mm. of darkness, and so the things that he said were dark. Now. I'm not suggesting for a moment that the things that he said were acceptable, they weren't. But what I would say is that this whole it's okay not to be okay, what we actually mean is it's okay not to be okay as long as you're all right now, or you can be not okay, but as long as your behavior is completely palatable and acceptable and we can all feel okay about it. Mm. And I just don't think that's the case for most people when they're struggling, or a lot of people when they're struggling at least, particularly, let me say men. Mm. Uh, I think men often uh express like rage and anger when they're struggling emotionally yeah it's the channel isn't it it's the channel that we seem to tap into um but i mean you're so right when people are in them dark places by definition they are dark <laughs> like exactly. some, some of the things that you say you don't necessarily mean i mean you mean them at the time but you know that they're 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 not good things to say i mean i respect you so much for saying that um that your feelings towards your children and i'll say the same I, i've had those moments where i feel like my children ruined my life you know mm. you know uh, because i wasn't ready to be a dad i wasn't mm. and actually i'm not sure anyone ever is but with all my baggage from my past with my father 
you know, when my son was born, I was excited about this, um, thinking it would it would be the thing, right? Like sobriety, it's going to be the thing. This is going to be the making of me, right? And mm. I'm standing there waiting for my child to come out. And at the same, uh, let, me get, let me get this straight. I, I did feel the love and stuff like that when my, when my son came out. But I was also hit with this mass load of pain, which was all of a sudden I had this child in my hand. I had a new perspective, one I wasn't able to see before because I wasn't a father. And now I'm there going, wait, my dad held me and what, wait, malfunction. Like, and, and I got hit with this like meltdown. And the whole time my wife's like, really? Now we've got this baby. It's going to be like really, really hard. And you're, you're losing control and you're unraveling. But the bit that I think is important to understand is I didn't do that on purpose. Mm. And that's the thing that people like Tyson Fury, the things he said, he said, because that's the way he's feeling. And guess what? Emotions don't care. They don't care mm. about words and language and all that sort of stuff. They just know that they're in pain and they want everybody to know and they're screaming out things and people are listening or judging or whatever. And it's hard. It's really mm. hard. And that's why I love what you're doing, where you're holding that space where you're not judging. And I mean that too. I love that. Oh, I don't judge. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Uh, you know, like you do judge because like, you're going to sit there and listen. And what you're saying is you're not going to say anything while I'm sitting in yeah. front of you, you know. But actually, when you walk off, you're going to go to your partner and go, oh my God, they said this, they said that. Yeah. How could you feel that way? That's disgusting. And all these judgments. And, and that's, that's the bit that you're talking about. It's like, it's reality versus, you know, what what they say or, or what they put forward but i mean around yeah. this time it sounds like your belief systems around resilient were different and 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 how are you and that, well they're different to how you understand them now but what does resilience mean to you now and how did you come to realize that so i guess like when i first ever reached out for help after that weekend very quickly after um I was honest about how I was feeling. Right. I, I started, you know, t I start. I made a commitment really at that stage of my life that I'm going to be wholly honest with everybody. And if that's, you know, at the time I was going to 12 step meetings, right. I haven't done them for, 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 for a number of years now, but at the time I was going to them and I used to sit in them and say, yeah, I love sobriety. It's amazing. And you know, it's great. And I just love it. And I'm here for my kids. And I remember after that weekend with my kids, I thought I'm going to be honest. And I sat in there and I said, like, I'll be honest with you. I don't really like any of you. <laughs> uh, I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't like any of you. And I was like, don't take it offensively, but you're all just happy being sober. And I'm not, I hate it. I don't want to be here. Uh, I hate sobriety. I don't really know what to do. I don't know who I am. I miss alcohol. I wish I could just drink and get done. And what I found was, is that after that people, so many people were coming up to me saying, fucking hell, man, I, I, I resonate with what you're saying. Mm. Right. And then, and then, and then it was after that meeting, this, the, the guy came up to me actually. And he was like, you should come to Oxford. Right. I live in, I was in Swindon at the time, but you should come to Oxford. There's this guy in Oxford. He's your age. Da, da, da. But anyway, when I met this guy, he was one of the first people ever to have such a huge impact on my life. He was my age and sober. And I started to realize when I'm honest about how I'm feeling and I say the truth, mm. it connects me with people in a way that I've never experienced before. And I start to get the things that I need in order to be able to move in the way that I want to heal. So, so when I hide, I hide and I can't get the help. And my old idea of resilience to, to, to bring it to your question was, was to hide and externally be tough, be strong, deal with everything, keep showing up no matter what, all of that stuff. And actually my new idea of resilience is much different. It's way more steeped in vulnerability right? in the ability to be able to go, let me, let me try my best to get to the truth of where I'm at. And if I can, it might, it might mean that some people 
go away from me and don't want to be around me, right? But it means that the people that do want to be around me and are will be will know who I am and will know my truth. Mm. And truth, truth, that level of truth for resilience is not necessarily easy because we are so, so good at lying to ourselves, the ways we will trick and deceive ourselves and create narratives. And, and I often hear people, you know, I often have a feeling in my body first and then I will put a story to it. Mm-hmm. So if I'm feeling nervous and worried, I'll put a story to it. Now, if the truth is I'm nervous and worried because I don't feel, because I'm feeling a little bit guilty because I haven't told somebody about something over here, well, at source, I might not want that to be the truth. So mm. let me say I'm nervous and anxious about that talk that I've got to do tomorrow, which is also true, mm. but I'm going to use that as a way of avoiding over here. And that's when you get into like spiritual bypassing, yeah, where you, I'm, I'm, I'm meditating 10 times a day or whatever, yeah, but I'm not dealing with this thing over here. Yeah. And until I deal with this thing over here, I can meditate 10 times a day, do whatever I want, you know, do all this helping work and all this spiritual work. But until I go over and deal with the thing over here, none of it's going to work. Yeah. Yeah. So you need that honesty, you know? Yeah. I mean, I say it to clients a lot. One of the first questions that when they're ready to hear it is like trying to understand who they are, who they, who they want to be and who other people think they should be, you know, like having that dessert, like, like differentiating between them and and knowing which one's which, you know, because of course we're going to be certain people, um, in real life, like who we actually are, who, who our wife knows us to be, who our kids know us to be, because they watch our actions, they don't listen to a single word we say. <laughs> you know, but then there's who you want to be, right? That's yeah. who, who you want to show up as in the world, which is usually reflective on your social media and all that sort of stuff and who, how you interact with the world. And then there's who other people think you are, mm. you know? And, and those differences, uh, if you can understand them, you can be all free. You can be more than that, but don't get mixed up. because that that could be really dangerous right i think yeah yeah no it's so true man so true so what what role did addiction play in your journey like how how did that serve you at the time look look, at the time it served me well i mean Mm. if you look at the pain that i was experiencing when i was when i was a teenager i'm really thankful that i found alcohol because Mm. i was i existed in a society that weren't giving me anything else Mm right? It wasn't giving me anything else. So I found well, it was cannabis first and then anything else that you add and, and alcohol became my love affair really. And it got me through a lot, you know, like I used to try and convince myself that I never enjoyed alcohol. Right. Mm. Like you try and convince yourself in any relationship that you've just ended that it was shit all along. Right. You try and do that because then yeah. it makes you feel better. Yeah. But I loved alcohol. I mean, I loved it. It did everything I wanted it to do. And particularly before I had children, which weren't very long because I had my first daughter when I was 18. Um, and there were no real consequences to my drinking. Of course, there were some, I mean, pretty bad ones, but not ones that bothered me, you know, at that stage of my life. Um, it did everything I needed it to do. It made me feel connected, alive, and all of that. Um, and so to me, it makes complete sense that I was obsessed with it. Yeah. Right. And people often say to me, what would you say to the, to the boy that you were that just found alcohol? And I think I would say, well done for finding a way to keep you alive in this world. That's not my line. Hmm. Uh, I originally read that in Russell Brand's first book, I think. Yeah. Um, and I remember his therapist said to him, 
well, you know, he said about all the bad things that he'd done. And she said, well, well done for finding a way to get you to this point. Mm. And, and so, so, so that was true for me with my, my addiction. And obviously when I stopped, when I stopped drinking when I was 24, so I put that addiction down and, you know, it was catastrophic and nearly killed me. It took yeah. me, I say it took me 12 years to nearly drink myself to death. It took me nine months to nearly sober myself to death. Mm. And, yeah. and then when I, and then just to take that a step further, I've been sober for over 10 years now. And I've had a million and one different addictions this week. <laughs> and I, like, and that's the truth. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Anything that makes me feel good uh, or takes me away from having to deal with the reality of my pain, hmm. then I'll do it. And I think it's very common to get addicted to recovery. Yeah. And you're just doing everything like did it and behind it, you're dying. Yeah. Man, you're dying. And you know, I think that's when you make it through that first stage. Uh, actually, when you make it for every stage, you realize shit, the next bit of growth is even harder. So like it, it, <laughs> but, but, but even harder, but it's even more freeing. So it's like yeah. weird. It's, it's a bit like, you know, like, uh, like when you raise kids, yeah. Mm. I don't care what anyone says. Those first two years are the, the hardest. Yeah. They're the hardest. Yeah. But, but when you've got a teenager and you're in that, that feels like that's definitely the hardest. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, like, I think healing is the same when yeah. I'm in it, you know, and, and there's a great quote by, uh, I think something like Socrates or something, one of them kind of people. And it says that our emotions don't believe in one another. Oh, right. And so, so, so when I'm feeling really, really sad, I, I don't believe happiness exists. Mm. You know, you, you, you're sad and then you're like, I'm never getting out of this one. Yeah. How did I get here? Oh yeah. no. And the same street when you're happy, right? I've done it. I, I'm going to do everything that I've done. I've got it figured out. Oh, thank God I've got it figured out. Mm. And you forget sadness exists. And then yeah. boom, it hits you in the face. And you're like, how did I get here again? Yeah. And, you know, and in those moments and when the things change, I'm always trying to find things that work. That's how do you feel end. about sobriety now? You're like today, right this minute. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What my own sobriety. Yeah. How do you, you know, because you said like you hated it, right? Yeah. And I get that. I I, I go through that, you know, I hate it. I love it. I hate it. I love it. All that sort of stuff. And you have those moments where you're with someone and they pour a glass of wine and you hear it being poured and you smell it and you look at it and you're like, oh, why can't I just, why can't I just and all that. But how do you feel about it right now? Yeah. So I would say probably like I... I don't miss alcohol as such anymore. So like, mm. I don't have that any, like when I see people drinking, it doesn't, I don't remotely um, think, oh, that'd be good. Like mm. I do sometimes think I would like, you're so lucky yeah. that you can just have a glass of liquid yeah, and it just fucking does the job. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, and if I could yeah. still do that once every couple of weeks, I still would do it. Yeah. But mm. I know that that don't happen to me. Right. Mm. So, so there's that aspect of it. But I don't miss it as such. I love my sobriety. Mm. You know, if you ask me, like, one of my greatest achievements and one of my fundamentals, it remains my sobriety. Yeah. And I absolutely love being sober. It's the best thing I ever did um, for me. I don't believe it's for everyone. No, nor do I. Um, I think I don't think alcohol's bad. I think alcohol's pretty good. Uh, and I just look, and I think if anybody's like me, my belief is sobriety is the way, mm. but 
but but I'm really I think it's really important to not push it on or not believe that it's for everybody because yeah. it ain't it's no. that's a great social lubricant I see people use it in you know in a way that's not desperately unhealthy you know mm. no more unhealthy than the way that I eat chocolate or whatever I knew you were um, gonna say chocolate <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it seems to be the thing as soon as you give up alcohol it's like right where's the chocolate <laughs> yeah 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 you're eating chocolate bars at the shop and throwing the wrapper in the bin outside the shop so that's, no one knows you're there that's it yeah uh, yeah 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 so 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 like but but I love it mate honestly yeah. like it's the single it's the fundamental for me you mm. know it's the fundamental for me and the 14th of May is the day my first day sober and we celebrate that, you know, in my house more than we do my birthday. It's a bigger day mm. than my birthday because I'm yeah. at that age now where birthdays just make you think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get that. I get that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, so, so, yeah, no, look, I, I, I mean, I love it. My, I, I love it. I love what it's been able, what it's allowed me to do in my life. It's changed my life. Like I live in, I, like I promise you, as much as I talk about all the difficulties and the struggles of it, like this is, I am living the dream. Mm. I am living the dream. I love it. The amount of time yeah. I say to my kids and my wife, like I've, we've made it. This is it. Love like, it. This is it. And I think, I think that's important too, by the way, is it can get easy to, 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 to think that the next step is the one. Mm. And it, it's now, it's Always right now. now. You know, it's right now. It's when, when we went to the beach, you know, we that the other weekend or whatever it was, and we're on the beach, and then this is it. This is it. Mm. It's not over there. It's not tomorrow. It's not. It's now. Mm. Um, and when you find that presence, which is what you should look for, I think, maybe, um, that's that's the best bits of all the things I've been able to do in my life. Those moments when I come round and think, fucking hell, I was totally in the moment then with my my kids, right? They're the moments I live for, and and I wish they weren't as fleeting as they. Oh, they you realize it, don't you? When you start looking at pictures and they all grown up and stuff, and you're just like, oh man, I, I, that's some of the stuff I continue to battle. Is I look back and I know how I felt. I know that when I was at Center Parks, I was pushing my son on the swing, thinking, I wonder how long I've got to do this until I can go and get a beer. And, I, and the mm. shame kicks up, the guilt kicks up, and it's like, no, 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 that's who you were. And people say to me, and it. How can you say sobriety is more important than your family? I say, because without sobriety, I can't be with them. Mm. I just can't. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because that was what I was like. I was I was mm. always thinking about how I was going to get a drink. You know, I wasn't drinking in a week and stuff, but I was trying, you know. Yeah. Gosh, if I could celebrate on a Wednesday, <laughs> I was there, man. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. there. And, 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 you know, I, I say it with laughter, but it was, it was, it was, it was real, you know. And, and I recognize that same thing in you. You know, what you're saying is like, you know, sobriety has allowed you to i love that you use that word allowed as well and that's what it felt like because in some ways drinking felt like a commitment like a job like i had to do it like i didn't have a choice it felt like that anyway and obviously i did but it felt like i didn't have a choice and it just felt yeah. at some point it went from being really helpful to not being so helpful usually around kids because they don't care about hangovers <laughs> yeah. they, they don't care if you were up till two in the morning drinking wine they still want to play at five o'clock in the morning you know yeah 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 that, no exactly yeah so that's what it allowed me to do but i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna change paces a little bit um if that's a word um and uh, <laughs> i, I want to talk about anger and and rage because like I, I'm quite a chilled person, but I have this anger and rage in me that I suppress a great deal mm. um, based off of stuff that happened to me as a kid with my dad. And it's my example of rage is watching him lose control. So I'm interested in 
how your experience of anger has evolved over time. You know, how you used to see it and how you see it now. Because uh, one thing I will say is that I've learned recently that anger is a alert or an alarm system that a boundary's been crossed, unless it's misplaced anger, you know, but like it's, it's an alert that a boundary's been crossed and that anger arises, I believe, um, to give you that clarity to be able to put that boundary back, you know? And when I looked, started looking at it like that, I, I was then able to see anger as something a little bit more useful instead of something to be afraid of. But I'm really interested in what your perspective. Well, look, let's start by saying the first thing I'd say about anger is if you look at some of the greatest things that have happened in the history of our society, mm. that it was driven by angry people. So like the suffragettes were angry. Thank God. Thank God they were. Yeah. Martin Luther King was angry. Mm. Thank God he was. Right. And so like anger is hugely motivating, powerful, strong. We need it. Yeah. The problem is, is that we equate anger to rage and rage mm. is different. Mm. Rage happens when, Normally, when you aren't able to express your anger for whatever reason, and so you keep it in, keep it in, keep it in, and then boom, you blow your lid and you get rage, right? Yeah. So the antidote, right, the way to stop rage is to allow people to have their anger, right? But we're we're terrified of it. Um, And I think often a lot of particularly young boys um, use anger to mask big, powerful, and difficult emotions like sadness and grief and all of those things. And, and, and I think boys do that because society teaches them to do that, right? If you cry when you're a teenage boy, you're probably going to get bullied. So don't cry, get angry. And then you'll just get thrown out of the lesson, which is like better than crying in the lesson and being bullied for the rest of your life. Mm. So, so you learn, so, so, so society is set up so that, the angry boys prosper and the ones that cry in their lessons don't, they get bullied. Right. And they go on to be weak and fragile and all that kind of stuff seen as that in yeah. the eyes of society. Right. Yeah. So, so society is set up in that way to reward those kind of, in a way reward those outbursts of rage in, in, in boys. And then what happens is, of course, is if you're still using that as a way of dealing with your struggle and your pain like you did when you're at school if you're still doing it when you're an adult well now you're not a 13 year old boy throwing a chair in a lesson you're a man in a pub throwing a, a bar stool across the bar mm-hmm. and that's going to cause you huge problems yeah uh, and now you're not a 13 year old boy screaming and hollering in a fit of rage at a teacher that happens to be a woman right you, you're doing it at your partner who, who might be a woman mm. yeah yeah and, and that's so, that's the problem. Yeah. No, go on. Yeah, go on. No, no, you're right. And and it's like I love you the fact that you you took the time to define the difference between anger and rage because that is the difference. That rage is that loss of control, isn't it? It's that it's that mm. like you know. And then you've got all the regret and the shame and the guilt that comes along with that. Like they all love to hang out, don't they? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it causes a lot of problems. But I mean, like, how do you feel someone can develop a better relationship with? anger and i mean i suppose all change starts with awareness so maybe becoming aware of it but how do you think they can develop that and and sort of harness it in a way um cry more nice so so when you are angry let yourself cry Mm. because you'll because if you don't then you'll go to rage so you have to cry you have to let the emotion out, right? You know, the stuff, the simple stuff, the energy in motion, emotion is energy in motion. It has to come out. We have to go through it. We have to release it. So you've got to release it. And I, you know, 
I cry a lot more today and I'm a lot less rageful. Hmm. I'm, I'm a passionate, emotional person. So I get angry easily. Hmm. So what am I going to do about that? Well, I'm going to focus some of that anger. Yeah. I'm going to use that to motivate me. So first, look, if you look at a simple process, when I start to feel angry, the first place I should look is internal, right? Yeah. Am I sad? Am I emotionally full somehow? What do I need to do here? Why am I angry? Now the case might be actually, no, I've got things in a row here. I'm angry because this person is crossing a boundary or this group of people or something's happening externally here that I'm not comfortable with. So I'm going to use that anger, mm. right? I'm going to be, uh, I may need to be forceful. And again, being forceful doesn't mean punching someone in the face. Being forceful might mean the, the way in which I stand and the way in which I say my words. And, and it, that doesn't have to be shouting and hollering, but it can be, you know, with some force and all that kind of stuff. So, so I think when you're able to listen to it and become aware of it and understand what it is, you have more chance of um, controlling the way that it moves through you. Mm, because, because when we hold our emotions in, we're not controlling them. They're controlling us, right? Mm -hmm. When we hold them in. Yeah. So, so we need to find a way to get them out. Um, and look, there's other ways like, breath work and screaming at the end of it that's a yeah. good way <laughs> yeah yeah I, I love uh, all your videos on that like uh, when i watched that i had a I had a had some experience around rage not rage anger recently and uh i watched your video and i thought man i'm gonna take myself off to a field and just scream because that looks liberating yeah. i actually did it in the car um as i was driving along i mean god knows what anyone thought if they were <laughs> so it. but you know it's interesting you say that because I, I realized something a little while ago like i i i was experiencing some 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 stuff and and i needed to cry and i took myself off to the garage to cry because i didn't want my kids to see it and then i realized the mistake i was making in doing that because i was still doing it in a in a way in which sort of presented shame about it right so mm. really should my kids see me cry i think that is, I've got two boys and I think the most vulnerable I can be is just to, is to let them see me cry, mm. but I'm still struggling with that. I am, you know, mm -hmm. I haven't done it yet. I'm talking about it. I haven't done it yet, you know, but I know I need to. And when that opportunity comes off, I'm not going to scurry off to the garage because there's something really quite sad about that, isn't it? Like see a man sitting in the garage on his own crying, you know? Um, yeah. I think, there, look, I think if it's what, if it, if it's what makes you feel safe to cry, then you should mm. do it. Yeah, I mean, there's, um, a, there's a song I have to play because uh, when I was younger, my dad would, would inflict some, uh, you know significant amount of violence on me. And I got hold of the fact that the crime was the reward sometimes. So my mm -hmm. way of remaining or giving myself the feeling of control was to, was to withhold tears, which is dumb when I think about it because all it did is sustain the beating longer. You know, mm -hmm. So there was that. But I think that developed a very unhealthy relationship for me around crying and you know i'm still working through that it's like like you say you know you're a work in progress you know mm. uh, and you know all of this stuff that you put out is is amazing but you're still having them daily battles hourly battles potentially <laughs> you know all of the course time. man yeah. of course and that's because you don't ever reach this place you know no, that's it. And it, like you know that that thing that you developed as a child because you know there was no adult to help you to you know comprehend what you were experiencing mm. It wasn't, it's not even that it was dumb. You developed the only thing that you knew how, right? Which was yeah. to stop yourself crying. And I think it's incredible that you were able to develop that. And then I think I don't feel safe crying in front of people, right? I, I, I've been in circumstances now where I've allowed myself to do it, but I don't like it. Mm. 
and I don't like it because I don't feel I don't you know I, I I'm able to do it in places that make me feel safe yeah and if mm. if if I've grown up in a world where crying around somebody who I love and is supposed to make me feel safe makes me feel unsafe then I've learned not to do it and so mm. I think like even with stuff like crying like I think it's it's it is such a vulnerable act that I don't even necessarily believe that the goal is to be able to get to this place where you can just cry in front of anybody. Yeah. I don't even know if that is it, if that is it, right? It's more about your own personal journey with it, you know? Yeah. And uh, I think it's enough to, to let your kids know that you do cry. I think that's it. I think, I think like for me, it's like trying to rationalize, like, you know, there's a lot of things that are unhelpful like emotionally unhelpful, mental health unhelpful that were taught to me in a very high stress situation as a child, you know? And I don't, I'm always my, like the biggest fear I have, right? Is passing any of that on to my kids. So I want them to know that it's okay to cry, you know, but I can't quite do it in front of them. Yeah. And I, maybe you're right. Maybe I don't need to, but letting them know that, that it's okay to do that. And, you know, I see it in my, in my youngest, you know, when he, you can tell he wants to cry and it's like, he needs my permission sometimes, you know, mm. like, and I'll say to him, it's okay to cry. And then, you know, as the tears are coming out, he's like wiping them away as they come out, you know, you know, and I'm just like, it's all right, put your hands down. It's fine. Let's have a cuddle. Let's sit with it for a minute, you know, and I'm really yeah. trying to teach that to them. You know, um, it's difficult. It's very difficult, especially as oh. a man, you know? Uh, yeah. And then, you know, when you get into the realms of parenting, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean, if you get it right, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's social right if i get it wrong i won't <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly yeah i always say like no one has a blazing rail with a missus and stops to take a selfie for social <laughs> that just doesn't yeah happen. and that, do you know what that's one of the reasons i don't social media in my family because i think families are really complex mm. and uh i wouldn't want to give across any idea that it's anything other than complex and yeah. it wouldn't be fair on my family to give um a clear view of the complexities of family life so let's just keep it yeah between ourselves, ourselves and our and our tribe and our community that we've built around us do you know what i mean that's yeah. i love that word tribe it's, it's such a powerful word man yeah um, many talks many talk about forgiveness yeah but for some acceptance is a struggle enough <laughs> let alone forgiveness i mean what are your thoughts on acceptance acceptance in comparison to forgiveness because they are different and they're easily easily mistaken yeah, look, I think acceptance should be the goal. I don't think you should have to forgive everyone. Love that's it. just my that's just my mm. opinion. Mm. Um, particularly, look, particularly if they're still out there being horrible. Mm. Look, I could tell you a lovely spiritual answer if you want, and this is the problem that I think happens is we start to think that I should give a spiritual answer where you go, you know, forgiveness is about letting go of them and uh, freeing myself and making sure that they never impact me. Yeah, and and I can say all of that, but I'd be lying. Mm. Because there's yeah. people in my life that I don't particularly like um, that are still out there, I believe, being horrible. And they don't have any influence on my life when they're not in it. They still do sometimes when they're in it and they do the horrible things that they do, right? So, But but when they're not in it, I don't need to forgive them to be free of them. I, I accept that they're who they are and that they have this role in my life. And... Um, I live my life the best I can alongside that. Now, 
I think forgiveness is incredible. And if you can reach the stage where you can forgive people, particularly family, I mean, if you can really get to your place where you can see them, because look, as humans, we're all flawed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there's people in my family that have done stuff that's not very nice to me and I've been able to forgive them. And I think we should be just really clear that horrible people exist, yeah. horrible abusive people exist and if one of them is your parent and you don't want to forgive them good for you that's why i think who's anybody else out there to say that you should have to forgive somebody that repeatedly abused you just because they're your parent because they because because they wouldn't make you do it with any other form of abuse imagine imagine telling somebody like they just it's just well i don't know there are people out there that think you should even forgive people they ain't your family that abuse you, but I don't think you should. <laughs> That's yeah. just my truth. That's just no, I no, mean. and I love that. I love that because, like, I I faced my father as an adult, and in talking to him, I had a realization that I've been trying to forgive this whole time, and then I realized that there was a huge problem between him and I. Even now, as grown ups, um, this was ten years ago, so, um, and I realized that it wasn't my problem. That it was his problem. No. And that's where I reached acceptance. And you know what acceptance meant to me was a few things. One, it, it enabled me to let go. And two, I realized I've been trying to accept. And that is what and that was the problem. I was trying to accept when acceptance is not a doing, it's a it's mm. a just it's a it's a letting go. It's an acceptance of like, right, this is your thing. You you keep that. I don't want that. You know, yeah. I've, I've carried it for long enough. Here's, you know, I, I say to my clients all the time, people walk around with heavy bags and they put them down and they look at you until you pick them up. <laughs> and yeah. then you pick them up and then someone says to you one day, you know that heavy bag? You don't have to carry that no more. And you go, bloody hell, that's better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I feel much better now. I've been carrying this heavy bag around. And that's what my dad did. He gave me a heavy bag to carry. And it was yeah. draining and it was, it was complicated and it made everything in my life hard, you know? Yeah. And one day I looked at him and said, is this your bag? Because <laughs> I don't yeah. want this. I don't want this anymore. This is yours. Yeah. Mate. See you later. Yeah. And I walked away from him, and I haven't seen him since. I don't know anything about Good him. Good for anymore, you. You know. Good for you. Um, don't get me wrong. It's not a you know acceptance is a funny thing. Some days I unaccept, get all up in my feelings, have a little cry about it, and then I move on the next day, come back to acceptance yeah. again, and that's all right. Like I think what you're saying is there's no fixed rules, right? You know. And yeah. Some, it's too fluid. I mean, some yeah. people would call what you just described, right? Some people say to me, well, what you're describing is actually forgiveness. Mm. Right? Forgiveness is the act of acceptance. It's not. It's not. <laughs> I don't think yeah. it is. I don't no. think it is. But yeah. I think I think if that makes you happy, right, and yeah. that works for you, and you do that and you call it forgiveness, then great. I think you should do it. And like mm. I say to people, I think you should talk about it and share it. and da, 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 da. But I don't think anybody has the right to come and sit across the table from you mm. and say, no, you need to forgive your dad. Mm. or you should forgive your dad, or the work for you is to get to a place where you can forgive him, free him. He probably mm. had a difficult childhood as well. Da, da, da. No, man, mm. no. Like, can you imagine, can you imagine, I don't know, like the letting a pedophile around your kids because it wasn't his fault. He had a bad life when he was a kid. Yeah. Like, yeah. all right, I, he maybe did, but he ain't coming in here with my kids. That's right. Yeah, no, yeah. You know I mean? No, so, no, yeah. That's actually a bloody good example, actually, because that, that's yeah. going to strike a chord, that. that. You're absolutely yeah, right. So, yeah, that's where I'm at with it. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a great answer, mate. I love your honesty. Absolutely love it. Like, do you ever get vulnerability hangovers? Do you ever get off podcasting? Oh, mate, what did I say that for? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, it does. I do like, uh, I get like uh, compassion fatigue as in, yeah. well, that's probably even slightly different. No, man. What I mean is, is it's like, this is what I mean about honesty. Yeah, it's, mm. It is exhausting because you have to really look like I'm always, when I'm talking, in the background, my head's going right. Let's do we. Is this what we think? Is this right? Question it. That's why I change my mind so much because <laughs> you're allowed to. And I love changing my mind. You're allowed yeah, to. I think I it's a strength. It. I think yeah. it's a strength. Yeah. Because that's it. Like our world's changing. I mean, we, we're talking on a day where I mean, I don't know what's happening on the news at the minute. I don't watch the news. I try not to anyway. But with all this going on in government at the moment, I was I was very curious about it all. Um, and I've got, I think, I think it sounds like Boris Johnson has stepped down finally. I don't know if he has or he hasn't, but what a situation that be, is. It might be dressed up that he stepped down, but he would have been yeah. pushed out. There's oh. no way that man steps down. <laughs> no, you're right. He doesn't resign. I know narcissists, mate. I know yeah. them well, and yeah. they don't step down. No. He's been forced. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because the next question is about ego. How, how good timing is that? <laughs> 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 because... Uh, what what's been do you because I mean you battle you, you bounce back and forth with with like your ego it sounds like you know one minute it it they might be driving the train and then it's not and then it is and then it isn't and I think that's normal I think everybody has that ego is a very necessary thing a lot of people demonize egos but I actually think they're necessary um to a certain degree but I mean what's been your biggest battle with your ego and when did you learn what did you learn as a result? So I look at it. Have you ever heard of internal family systems? No, I haven't. IFS, you should check it out. The guy who uh, came up with the concept is called Dick Schwartz, Richard Schwartz. Um, and he has the belief that we have around eight parts of ourselves. So you have your core self, which is you know compassionate, curious, calm. When you're in that, you're in your core self. Then you have your, like what he calls your exiles or your wounded inner child. So that's like the part that we all keep hidden, mm. my closet over there. And then you have all of these parts of yourself from the inner critic to the people pleaser to I've got one called the tough guy, right? And you you start to understand this. It can be like up to about eight different parts of yourself. Now, some people might refer, people who often group them up as one thing and just call them the ego. But I think if you go deep with it, you've got like eight different parts of yourself. And if you take the inner critic as being like the one that people resonate with the most, you can try and shut the inner critic up or not listen to it and think it's bad. Or you can see it as a part of yourself that exists for a reason and say, right, why does my inner critic exist? And if I think of my own, the one that's critical that tells me when I'm about to do a workshop, that's going to be crap and everyone's going to figure me out, right? <laughs> if I interact with that calmly and compassionately, what I realize is that part of me is scared of shame. And so he's trying to stop me doing it because he thinks it's the best thing. Don't do it because we'll get like, we're going to feel them feelings of shame. So actually, I don't want to shut that bit up. Because if I shut him up, he's going to get defensive and louder and stronger, like anybody would. Yeah. So if I can be compassionate with him and I can go, look, I get it, but I'm not a defenseless child anymore. I'm an adult. I've got this tough guy part of myself, so don't worry anyway. If they think it's crap, I'll front it out. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then what you realize is, is that you can tap into all of these parts of yourself. They're problematic when they become polarized and they start running the show. The tough guy ran the show for me when I was between 18 and 24. Yeah, I wanted to fight everybody. He pumped his chest out and stood forward because he thought it was the right thing to do. Yeah. As I've been able to help him and calm him down, he doesn't run the show anymore. Comes out when I'm playing football now, when I need <clears> him. Comes out when I need him. Not going to play football, he doesn't get you. polarized. <laughs> no, you. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, 
I've hung my boots up now, so you're all right. Yeah. Um, but, but, but when you understand these parts of them, yeah, these parts of yourselves and you understand them with compassion, then you start to realize that they all serve a purpose and they can all be there and they can all live in harmony and you can be centered and grounded and connected with your whole self. Right. And, and, and that's, you know, that's where I try and be really almost hold communion with them every day. I love that. Like a, a friend of mine talks about the committee in his head. He mm. said, like, we call a little board meeting and we all have our say. And what I love about the, the way you talk about everything that we've spoken about is that you're endeavoring at all times to work with what's there. Yeah. And I think that's what's got to be done, isn't it? Like, you know, we can all wish things were different, but we have to accept what's there and work with it most of the time, you know? Yeah. It, that, it's radical. Somebody said on my socials recently, I think it was when I talked about forgiveness, they said, I shoot for radical acceptance. Right. And I like that because it's like, I can say all these things, you know, I'm really good at saying things, <laughs> yeah? yeah, which is a problem because, because I'll say really, really good things to hide the truth. Yeah. And everyone yeah. will go, wow, that's enlightened. And there's a part of me that's thinking, phew, we got away with that one. Do you mm. know what I mean? Mm. When actually what I need to do is go, let's just be, let's try and bring the truth. Let's dump the truth in the middle of the table and see what we can do with it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I feel like when you do that, you've got more chance of freedom than when you just hide the truth all the time. Well, the truth will set you free most often. It really yeah, will. Well, there you like, go. It's simple. It, it's simple in the end. Even when you've done a bad thing, like there is absolutely a moment when you confess that bad thing and you feel relief. Like mm. as much as I hate that, what I've done, I'm so glad you now know, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's the way it is, isn't it? But you talk about freedom and that brings me on to the last question. What does emotional freedom mean to you? Emotional freedom to me is the ability to experience my full range of emotions mm. and know that it's okay. Love it. I mean, well, in the, like in the end, it is relatively simple. I, I don't believe that we get to choose how we feel. I, I think we can choose the stories that we create around how we feel. Um, but I don't believe that we get to choose how we feel. And emotional freedom to me is when I can when I can feel my full range of emotions and and still find a, a, a an element of safety in that. That's a really great I'll, I'll let you know if I ever get there. <laughs> yeah, do it. Just send me a little DM to say, yeah, don't know. I cracked it. Here's the code. <laughs> Oh, mate, it's been a real pleasure, man. I, I've um, This is everything I hoped it would be. It's, it's been really lovely talking to you and, and finally meeting you. Like I said to you before we hit record, it feels like I know you already, you know, so mm. this has been lovely. But I mean, before we uh, close it down, I mean, is there anything that you'd like to pass on that you feel could help people with their self-development? Look, I would I would say to people to always start, start a place of curiosity. And I think what you'll find is, is that most of the ways that you show up to the world will make sense based on your life experiences. Mm. And once you start to make sense of them, you start to realize that you have a lot of power in this. Um, and I think one of the things that I'm passionate about is making people understand their innate power, like your innate, your power is innate. You know, the human mind, body, and soul is, is incredible if you're able to be with it. Um, so start with curiosity um, and you'll realize you're not broken. You know, you're just reacting to the world the only way that you know how at the moment. Yeah.
I love that, mate. That's great advice. That, and I love, I love the way that that's a word that you've said many times. It's a word that I feel strongly about: curiosity, because that's how mm. children see the world. They're curious about everything, and that's yeah. how they learn, right? And we yeah. st- we get taught to not be curious, you know, somehow. Um, exactly. So, yeah, and that's where it all starts to go wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, mate, tell tell people what's next for you and where they can find you. Um just going to keep doing what I'm doing really. Um, I run my inner you program regularly online and that's sort of really getting a lot of momentum. So if, if anybody wants to check that out, they can have a look at it. Uh, the next one will be in September, I think. Um, but come and find me. My website's joshconnolly.co.uk. Um, uh, but I, I'm probably most active on Instagram, which is just Josh underscore FFW. What's that stand uh, for? Fi- freedom from within. Ah, which is the name of my company. Yeah. Um, so yeah, everybody asks me that. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know that. One. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the oncoming man stuff, like, do you want to mention that at all? Yeah. So once a month, uh, we, we do an event in London where we pull, um, around 40 men. We can max out probably at about 40 at the very maximum, uh, a lovely venue in London that's got a rooftop terrace right in the city centre. Mm. Um, and we do some emotional stuff, uh, some breath work that finishes with a big scream. Everybody cries their eyes out. Everybody, people cry for the first time in 30 years when they come. Um, and you can find out about that at uncommonman.co.uk or find us on Instagram. Uh, and you'll find that through my, my Instagram as well. So incredibly proud of what we're achieving with that. Yeah. You should be, mate. You should be proud of all that you're doing. Um, very often I see people in a position such as yourself and I and I question it, you know, but I don't with you. Like you are a man living his purpose, doing this thing that you're supposed to be doing. You know, that's that's it. That's all I've got. <laughs> Thank you, man. Uh, I'm, I, that means a lot, honestly. No, honestly. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for your, for your time today. Um, some of this wisdom you've passed along, I've been taking notes. You know, you're, you're exceptional. So thank you so much for your time. And uh, hopefully we'll catch up another time soon. Definitely. Round two. Round two in a few months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Take care, mate. So that's all from me for this episode. Thanks again to my podcast producer, Charlie from Chatter Podcast. And I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Self-Development Podcast.